Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, where we want to inspire and educate the leaders of tomorrow. Join us as we learn from the best in the business. Welcome back to the Kickstart Garage. I'm your host, Sam John Byrne, and I'm accompanied by my co-host, Gavin Quigley. On today's show, we're joined by co-founder and CEO of Spark Crowdfunding, Chris Burge. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? Nice to meet you guys. Thanks very much for having me on. Fantastic. Before we get into the nitty gritty, uh, could you give our audience a bit of background about yourself? Sure. I uh, Background. I'm, I'm an engineer. Uh, I uh, graduated from uh, Coventry uh, University back in a long, long time ago, 30 years ago, I think it was now, um, uh, But uh, and worked around the world in various countries um, uh, in an engineering field. A format. I moved over to here, over to Ireland, uh, twenty years ago, twenty-one years ago, Easter, Easter two thousand. I moved over, and uh, I've lived here since, and I've, I've had a couple of roles. But um, more, more recently, obviously, Spark Crowdfunding, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit more detail later on. Absolutely, we will. And I could see from your LinkedIn that you did your masters in uh, energy management, uh, with your thesis on is Ireland's infrastructure ready for mass deployment of electric vehicles, which seems to be a topic more prevalent now, given the systemic shift globally away from petrol and diesel towards electric vehicles. I was wondering, before we get into more questions regarding Spark crowdfunding, could you talk to us a bit about your thesis in the context of what does Ireland's infrastructure need to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles and what was your conclusion at the time? Does it does it still hold? Yeah, I wrote this ten in 2010, so 11 years ago now. And uh, at the time, you know, obviously, I, I was very keen on doing something along the energy management uh, side of things and uh, subsequently started a a business in uh, energy consulting consulting but um at the time uh, we were obviously electric vehicles were quite nascent at the time but nevertheless you know established to a point where you could see that there there was going to be adoption but uh, as the adoption has grown obviously uh, it is causing uh, well it's not just the adoption of electric vehicles but it's more data centers that's really causing the problem here in Ireland at the moment but uh, you know de- but the deployment of um, of uh, electric vehicles across the network is going to cause you know uh, you know further complications and an excess demand on the grid uh, that probably wasn't there well definitely wasn't there before so it, it will complicate things but the the adoption is is growing uh, not as quickly as most people would like but nevertheless it is getting more and more um uh, standard if you like to see a, an electric vehicle on the road whereas you know probably even five years six years ago it was quite uh, it was quite strange to actually see an electric vehicle there but uh, it is growing um uh, and and it will accelerate definitely um and uh, yeah the the grid um air grid needs to actually plan and plan in detail you know for the mass adoption of these uh, and also the different types of loading it will actually have on the grid and when these vehicles are going to be loaded of course you know the normal peak for the electricity grid is you know from eight o'clock in the morning until you know six o'clock at night uh whereas of course you know the the cars the vehicles particularly if people are going to be commuting are going to be plugged in overnight so the actual uh you know demand for for electricity to charge the vehicles is is at night time which is good because it it then kind of you you can use the off-peak uh, uh electricity to charge them which is you know ideal for uh for what for what to air grid need but nevertheless they will need to kind of uh consider the uh the, the the bigger demand that the 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 mass rollout will uh, will give them. I uh, I got my first ever Energia bill there. I, I moved into this house uh, last month, exactly a month ago, and um, so I'm learning all, all about that and checking the meter. It's like a day night meter, and 
I uh, really feel like an adult just trying to wrap my head around it all. So it's actually, it's pretty interesting to hear that. Um, Chris, you have a, a fantastic short and sweet uh, LinkedIn bio, which reads uh, engineer and, and entrepreneur. A lot of people tend to choose one path or the other. Was it a case of developing the taste for entrepreneurship as your career in engineering developed? Or have you always had a, a love for both? Um, I, I was very keen to get into engineering and uh, and really enjoyed it uh, as a as an early career. But um, I I always kind of looked at uh, the commercial side of things in um, with with uh, with want and desire as well. And uh, as my career progressed, I, I kind of wanted to get more and more into that. And I I, I developed a number of kind of you know. Uh, kind of small businesses uh, uh, up to this point and um and wanted to kind of get into the entrepreneurship side of things as well you know develop my own business and kind of go it alone and did that with bravo energy of course uh, to to a certain extent and some other small projects uh, uh, alongside that but um but obviously spark was the one that uh, is, is is kind of um, you know moved quicker than most others and uh, and i find myself now you know ceo of a of a startup that's been going now for 3 you know bit years and um is uh, accelerating away thankfully so uh, so yeah no I, I enjoy both sides of it and um uh, i'm still very much a kind of a hands-on person and kind of like getting my hands dirty with uh, you know engineering type things or DIY type things as well which is which is useful but uh, but no I I, I I miss some elements of engineering absolutely but I I, I absolutely love the uh, entrepreneurship side of things as well though yeah it reminds me of the I think it's Ernest Hemingway quote gradually then suddenly you know all of the all of the bits and elements of your career and, and bits of experience all kind of culminate and it, people probably think it's like an overnight success, but it's kind of like an amalgamation of everything that leads to, to such a quick, uh, quick results, I suppose. Um, earlier in your career, and we will get into Spark pretty soon, but early in your career, uh, and I really wanted to ask you this, you spent some time, I believe, obviously you're from the UK, you know, I believe, and it was with a federal mogul. You also operate in the US, France, South African markets. Do you feel that being exposed to these different cultures early on uh, helped you in in like dealing with people and, and building relationships later on and, and now in your career? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, having that, and I was very, very fortunate to kind of have that ability to travel uh, with my uh, with my uh, early engineering career. Um, and as you say, you kind of worked in yeah, the States and South Africa and France and Japan as well. Um, and uh, they've all got very uh, you know, strong identities. And uh, yeah, you have to flex with that. You can't go in um, uh, with a, a, an entrenched kind of way that people need to work or need to kind of even socialize. You have to kind of be very um, uh, flexible and, uh, and adapt to those local local ways of working and uh, so yes you do have to kind of um, you know, kind of temper your your own uh, you know culture uh, and and adopt the the local one as well because otherwise you, you're just pushing against a closed door and it's it's not very it's not going to work people are going to be alienated if you if you're if you're not flexible in that way so yes absolutely you you do and, and, and as I say I was very fortunate to be able to get that opportunity to learn those skills at an early age and uh, and it has absolutely helped me further on in my career definitely I think I think it's probably something that a lot of people are missing out on now at the moment of course with COVID that goes without saying but I think tech businesses are, are pretty globalized now where you know, you can work for an American company, you can work in, in different markets, 
but you don't really get to experience the culture because you can work remotely. You kind of have to go out of your own way to, to base yourself in a different country to, to truly experience it. So, Chris, we'll get into Spark very soon, but you're also the owner of Bravo Energy. You alluded to that a second ago, um, a consultancy specializing in, in all areas around energy management. And you've had some pretty big clients, including the likes of PwC, Irish Life, Three, Arthur Cox, AIG, among others. What are some of the common issues that you see in these companies and, and how do you help them to address these uh, effectively? The common denominator, I suppose, with regards to all of these companies and, and energy is the fact that they just don't manage it properly. And um, and it's been a kind of one of the things that has just been very slow to be adopted, where people, yeah, they, they are, obviously they look at their, their main core of their business. And if it's three or Telefonica, as it was before it moved to three, yeah, they're, they're in the phone business and they, they need to kind of make sure that they're their, uh, their 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 platform is secure and everything else and that's and that's great and and they do that very very well but they also need to kind of make sure that they they uh, are managing their energy properly and they and up to this point and, and maybe a few years ago they weren't uh, maybe they are now of course uh, but um so 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 yes the, the common denominator across all of them was that the the energy was something that happens yeah they, yeah that, that we'll look at that some other time but um but until you're actually monitoring it, you can't really do, you can't manage it, of course. And so, you know, as the old adage goes, so so you need to kind of, mix, first of all, start looking at it and making sure that, you know, the, the, the energy that you're using, where is it being used? Is it being used kind of in lighting? Is it heating? Is it, you know, where is it being used? And uh, and then you can start to kind of manage it at some point as well after that. So that would be the common denominator across all of those businesses that I was fortunate fortunate uh, enough to work in fantastic cool we're going to switch over now to um spark crowdfunding and peer-to-peer platforms have been explosive over the past few years it's really a unique service offering and could you talk to us how you came up with the idea for spark crowdfunding and what was your biggest challenge you encountered while getting that idea to market well, I mean, crowdfunding uh, as a concept isn't new, uh, and you know we didn't really develop uh, you know the the equity crowdfunding side. It was already there, and the U- there were a couple of co- big companies in the UK who did it, and across the states. And in fact, it was actually de- devised in Australia uh, about 12, 13 years ago now. So, so it, 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 it's something that we didn't devise. We we saw the rise and rise of it across those uh, jurisdictions, and we thought, well why don't we have it here in Ireland? So, so we started investigating it more and more and, 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 and thought, yes, this is a great idea and, and let's start it up. So we did. Uh, the biggest challenge though, is kind of with, with every two-sided marketplace. And of course we have investees on one side and investors on the other is, is building them both up slowly. Uh, yeah. So that we don't have too many uh, investees to, to, the, to our investors and don't have too many investors to our investees as well so we have to kind of be you know do it do it gently and we and we did and we, we started off uh you know quite quite uh, um quite uh prudently and, and and carefully and making sure that we were not unbalancing the uh, the, the 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 scales um and, uh, and and grew to where we are now so that was the biggest challenge i think is the actual uh you know balancing that two two-sided marketplace 
Mm. Um, Sam has some really great follow-on questions, but just before we go into the the real kind of complex uh, investor-related questions and things like that, um, I wanted to just ask, you know, I, I believe, like you mentioned there, Spark, it's the first equity crowdfunding platform in Ireland. Of course, it, the idea was uh, it already existed in the UK, like you said, but what is the biggest significance of this for the investor for the business and and how does equity crowdfunding compare to like a normal crowdfunding or debt crowdfunding well uh, the equity compared to debt is quite a different instrument of course you know with, with with the debt function as an investor you're putting your money in yes it's at risk of course it is but you're expecting to get it paid back you know kind of even in month one you know, you're expecting us some uh, a, 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 a portion of that money back in month one with interest of course as well whereas of course with with the equity side of things it, it's more silent in so much that you put the money in uh, in in month one or year one and you probably don't expect to see that back for two three four five six or even seven years even in in some cases so but but when you do uh, get it back you expect to see it back not with a you know a 20 percent or 15 percent uh you know coupon as you would do it with debt but you're expecting to see that you know double triple quadruple you know have a have a multiple of 10 or if you even 15 uh, times your investment so if you put one grand in you're hopefully seeing five or seven or 10 or 15 grand back in 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 three four five years time as well so so there's a big big uh, difference in it but of course there's a, there's a bigger risk of course as well because we know that you know, uh, companies fail, and we know that probably five out of 10 companies fail, but you hope the other five that you've invested in are going to do well and, and, and give you a big multiple of uh, in return. And that's really the the, the difference between debt and equity um, uh, on that side of things. And I've, I've seen from your promotional videos on YouTube that you provide investors with regular opportunities to invest in various companies. Um, how does Spark Funding uh, attract those companies uh, looking for investment and why do they side with Spark Crowdfunding over other equity crowdfunding platforms? Well, as you said, we're the first and the only equity crowdfunding company in Ireland. And we like to think that, um, you know, that Irish investors like to invest in Irish businesses. So so, so that, that's a very strong uh, element to it. And so therefore, if you are a, a young Irish company, why would you go over to uh, the UK to to raise money? Well, yeah, there are a couple of reasons why, but there, there are stronger reasons why you should stay here. One of which is uh, this thing called EIS, uh, which is a tax incentive that uh, the government very generously gives uh, investors uh, to to avail of of when they invest in young Irish businesses, which wouldn't 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 be available to an Irish company and investors if they did it in the UK as well. So so that's uh, that's one uh, big reason. Uh, but yeah, we we we've taken the concept of of crowdfunding and we've tweaked it to 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 really suit the Irish um, uh, the Irish market, both on the investee side and the, on the investor side. So we we uh, yeah, the UK companies will often just kind of you know give you access to the platform and away you go after after they've done a, an element of due diligence. Obviously, we we very much curate the companies that are on our platform. So we're very selective. We probably only take about one in 10, one in 11 companies onto the platform that apply to us. And so so we're offering our investors a very um, carefully selected uh, group of companies um, that we think are, are, are investable in, of course, uh, otherwise they wouldn't go onto the platform. And um, and we think that that's a very strong, uh, you know, compelling reason why, you know, uh, you know 
Irish companies should uh, invest, sorry, should go onto the platform here so that they can uh, give the Irish investors, A, the EIS tax incentive, but also the, uh, to the, the strength of which the, we, we show to our investors uh, of, the, uh, of the quality of the businesses that are, the, that are there. What would typically be the selection criteria for the companies that you do select to go onto your platform? It's wide and varied, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, our experience, obviously, of, uh, of looking at uh, young startup businesses now. But, um, I mean, the, the, it isn't very different from that of uh, the criteria that are used for, for Enterprise Ireland or for, uh, you know, VCs around the country as well. You know, there has to be a very strong team, uh, and, and that team has to be able to kind of demonstrate that they are, you know, have business acumen and can control a, a young startup business and the the complexities that are are involved with that, but also uh, yeah the companies we like to see yeah an element of IP in there as well so that there's a you know, a good bit of protection um, that uh, you know others can't come in and and, and uh, just copy. Uh, and we like to see that there's uh, traction in the market, that the customers are actually willing to pay for this service or pay for this product as well. So, but yeah, you know, there, there's a whole host of other kind of things that we look at. And yeah, you know, we have an application form uh, as everybody else does. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of starts to weed out a lot of those things quite uh, quite an early at an early stage, and we can see from that application form, yeah, the strength of these companies. But they're, they're probably three, uh, you know, key elements that we that we are uh, keen to keen to see and keen to look for as well. And on the other side of, of the platform, then, of course, uh, as an investor looking to, to get started on, on Spark crowdfunding, like, are there any specific prerequisites that I, I would need to meet, um, such as like, is there minimum investments for each company? Is, is Does that depend on the company's preferences or do you need to provide like salary details? How, how would that look like for the other side? We so you have to be a member of the platform uh, in order to invest. So yeah, there's a very simple criteria that uh, an application form. But I mean, it's it, it, it literally only takes a couple of minutes to actually fill out. You you have to declare your liquid assets. You know how much liquid asset you've got, and and, and that's a, an element of. As, for us to decide, you know, are you overspending? Are you overstretching yourself? And we kind of monitor that uh, quite carefully as well um, to see to make sure that people aren't uh, aren't, aren't doing that. So if they've declared a, 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 you know, for example, liquid assets of you know X, then we have to make sure that they're not spending up to X because that would obviously just mean mean that they are are uh, you know overstretching themselves. So. Um, so, so that's the first element to it. The the minimum investment is is only a hundred euros. So yeah, so most people can afford to to put in uh, at that stage. We try and encourage people to 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 go to uh, the next level, which is uh, well, let's say the next level uh, to put in two hundred and fifty because at, at two hundred and fifty you're actually getting forty percent back in this EIS uh, uh, incentive that I mentioned earlier on. Whereas if you invest below two hundred and fifty, you, you don't. So uh, so we we're very keen to. Uh, uh, um, you know, show people that that is uh, you know, a good way of doing it, um, and um, so yeah. So the 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 criteria otherwise are, are very are very open, and we 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 take anybody who who wants to uh, who wants to invest. Of course, you know, you need to make sure that you're not, uh, as I say, overstretching yourself, and you're. And we also encourage a, a diversified portfolio approach where you invest small amounts in in many companies as opposed to trying to pick a winner, uh, because of course, if that winner does fall. 
and stumble at, a, at the, one of the fences, then you know, you've lost everything. Whereas if uh, you know, you've invested over a whole portfolio, then you know, hopefully you'll get two or three or four or even five you know, winners. And, uh, and, and obviously there'll be a, a couple of losers there as well. But as I say, we, 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 we curate our, our, uh, our companies very, very carefully. And we, we'd like to think that you know, the statistic of the five out of 10 or even six out of 10 that fail is, is less on our platform because of the fact that we have you know, been careful in, uh, careful in selecting the, uh, the businesses to, to show our investors. I think that's pretty important as well, because I know from dealing with certain uh, debt uh, crowdfunding platforms, and when a project goes up, they get funded within one second, two seconds, and you don't, don't get the chance to do your own due diligence actually on the project. And you almost have to set up a quantitative strategy in order to do the auto funding or anything like that. So I think companies being transparent, especially in the crowdfunding space with their selection, I think it's, it's fantastic. And I'm sure there's been many successful companies on Spark crowdfunding. Most notably, actually, we had Charlie Gleason from Zip Mobility on. We've seen that he's raised a bit of funds as well on it. Um, but from the successful campaigns that you've seen, what separates a successful pitch uh, from an unsuccessful one? Well, we've actually in the last in the last two years, we've had a hundred percent success rate. So every company that's actually gone onto the platform has gone on to raise the the, the required funding. So so there haven't been too many failures, uh, which is which is great for us and great for the companies. But um, I suppose the ones that have uh, kind of you know failed to reach the the target amount that they uh, initially t- uh, wanted. Probably because it, it they were they were good businesses. We we still yeah liked them and we still thought that they were strong candidates. But probably just didn't um, uh, t- uh, click with the investors. I, I think that's probably the only way that you can actually say that the, the, why they didn't actually uh, succeed. Um, why that didn't happen, I it, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there are just some companies or even some promoters that just you know the the. the the general public goes well. Actually, you know, I'd, I'd rather than put it in in company A, I'll put it. I'll put it in company B in, instead, and uh, and maybe that was the reason why. But um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, you know, then they're, they're not bad businesses. The the ones that we've put up that haven't reached the the target amount, but you know, they they obviously just didn't click with the uh, with our investor base for for whatever reason. And in your opinion, what has been the most successful company that you've seen come through Spark crowdfunding, and why? Well, success is quite a strange one to kind of look at, really, because is the success the the most money that has been raised? If that was the case, then that's clearly ASX, which uh, raised two point two million with us. Um, but if you look at kind of the other criteria, then yeah, there are some other strong candidates as well. Um, we've got um, we've had we've not had no actual exits so far, um, but we we have had uh, companies that have gone on to raise further funding uh, and therefore give our give our investors a paper uh, increase in their in their uh, investment uh, and that's happened now i think five times across uh, the campaigns that we've had and we're still hopeful that we're going to actually have an exit you know um, in the next you know 9 to 12 months as well there are a couple of candidates that are you know have have really kind of grown very very well and are are being sought after as a as a, as a potential acquisition as well so so we'd be delighted and uh, you know when that actually happens at, at some at some point uh, and that will be a real um litmus test for our investors to go okay well listen you know the the, the campaigns that we've backed are starting to actually uh, yeah, come through to fruition and give us a return on our investment as well 
I think it's such a fascinating industry and it's it's effectively just you know cutting out the middleman in a lot of um in a lot of ways but uh one peer-to-peer niche that I'm quite surprised um hasn't been disrupted yet would be the residential mortgage market I've seen a lot in the case of say commercial businesses and commercial residential um, but in the sense that individuals can get a loan from another individual to get their own property, I understand there are currently, you know, some platforms, like I mentioned, like the, the commercial side of things. But um, I suppose my question is, why aren't there um, any players within this space? And is this something that maybe Spark would consider even in the future? Um, I mean, obviously, a mortgage is a debt function um, and we are purely equity. And so there are plenty of players in the market for for debt, uh, for peer-to-peer debt uh, uh, here in Ireland and obviously further afield as well. So it's something that we probably won't get into. Um, but um, it is uh, it's something that probably yeah, should be uh, yeah, considered by, by a, another player, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I can absolutely see the, the attraction of it. Um, it is difficult for for young start, young people seeking to to get onto the property ladder to actually get that mortgage uh, at first and and maybe if you pay a, a slightly bigger premium or pre- bigger uh, coupon rather on the, on the uh, on that investment then you might be able to do it from peer to peer and and maybe people would be happy and willing to to invest in that as well uh, knowing that people have got a, a bricks and mortar behind them uh, if it, it, when that actually happens and th- there is some mechanism to to repay the investor at some stage perhaps as well but it, it's something that no it's not something that we are you know actively seeking at the moment and i don't see it really on the horizon at the moment either yeah the the irish residential property market is something i think we're all going to be having quite a close eye on for the next while but uh we'll, we'll save that conversation for another day for now um you know for a lot of people um chris like covid was was pretty disastrous and a lot of businesses of course in ireland were shutting down um but spark has had quite the opposite reaction you could say and it it seems from a recent article i saw on on the rte website that the amount of activity has actually grown and i quote our investor database grew by over 140 percent in the first six months of this year as the ordinary irish individual spent more time online and has higher levels of, of disposable income so with covid uh you touch wood largely behind us now um i think like 92 percent of ireland are vaccinated and it's looking like uh, on october 22nd things will be getting back to normal how do you envision 2022 panning out for spark crowdfunding yeah well i mean like all things that you, you need a critical mass in order to actually get going and uh and fortunately for us you know as, as you said you know covid was was actually quite good for us and and yeah you know, I, I say that carefully because i know for for many many people that it wasn't and uh it it, it uh, was just fortunate that it, it worked out for us and in during that time and as i as you just indicated there there was there were there were people who if their job were was stable and uh yeah you know, they had a bit more time they had a bit more money because uh, they weren't able to spend it you know on holidays or going out for dinner or whatever it happens to be uh, and so yeah our, our, our database of investors grew and grew and grew and we were, we were delighted for it so so that was that happened to be at a, a quite nice time for us in so much that we needed to actually grow our database quite significantly and to get to this uh, critical mass which we think we've actually reached now of course we we want more and more and more investors as, as many as we possibly can that's what builds value into our business and it means that the the companies that go onto our platform can have a bit more confidence that they're going to reach that um 
uh, reach that target that they set. So so with that, I, I think 2022 is going to be a, a consolidation of the of the um, investors that we have on the database. Uh, we'll be uh, making sure that we're treating them correctly and and, and uh, sensitively and putting forward good projects for, for them to consider. Uh, and, and and with uh, with that, you know, the, the database will grow as well still. And I, I do expect to see, you know, whether it's similar uh, amounts of growth, uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to think so. But I, I also think that, you know, we need to, uh, you know, temper that somewhat as well because uh, yeah that was, a, that was quite unprecedented during that those times uh, for that growth but you know we will we, we will get more and more in as more and more people hear about it and and as more and more people invest and hopefully had a have a good experience on spark they will uh, they will tell others to 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 potentially uh, invest with us as well so that's that that's what what I'm hoping for 2022. You mentioned earlier on in our discussion that um, creating a marketplace is a careful balancing act. And obviously you don't want more investors um, than investees and vice versa. At the same time, scaling up both sides can create strong network effects and lead to a strong competitive advantage, which you can see with the likes of Bitcoin and Facebook. Um, how did you manage at the start do, uh, creating that balancing act between having the right amount of investors and the right amount of investees um, whilst, and then progressing to scale your user base well of course at the very beginning we were only having one client at a time one investee at a time so uh, so it wasn't we didn't have to really do very much balancing other than kind of have more you know clients following on so so at the very start yeah we just have one campaign and we would try and get investors to invest into that campaign and uh, both myself and my co-founder we've we've got we've got a, a good database of our own kind of our, our little black book already anyway uh, and that's one of the kind of catalysts if you like to starting uh, um, starting uh, spark um, so we knew a, a number of people who were active investors anyway so we could get we could um, you know go to them and say okay listen we found a, a nice um, uh, proposition for you to, to have a look at and and they did and they had a look at it and some of them invested some of them didn't and uh, but yeah we, we but again the PR at the beginning was was very important to us as well, and we were very fortunate. And you know, many of the media outlets kind of covered us with journals and kind of. Yeah, you know, I was on radio. Uh, the the investee that we had, the bit, the first big investee that we had, anyway, uh, was on kind of you know news uh, outlets and channels. So it was it really worked very well, and we got a massive spike, you know, from that from that first big uh, investment um, or investee onto the platform. So so yeah, so I mean. Yeah, to be honest with you, you can't have too many investors. Although, yeah, you don't want to, like you just mentioned there with the with the peer to peer, that you know some investors get a little bit uh, frustrated by the fact that you know the investments are disappearing after one or two seconds. And so, but with us, it's a it's a bit more of a slow burn. You know, you you kind of you you can go onto the platform, you you contemplate whether you want to invest or not, and and make your decision over a period of you know days really. Although, having said that, with the the first ASX. Um, uh, the first ASX uh, campaign that we did uh, that sold out in 24 hours. So that was uh, that was something uh, that was uh, unprecedented from our side of things. But but yeah, so it's 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 it, you can't really have too many investors, and we're very happy to have more and more and more as they as 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 we grow in in, in size as well. And but you know, in, uh, the corollary of that is that we will have to get more and more investments and uh, investees in rather as well. Uh, and that's the that's less uh, that's less tricky. You mentioned also as well the EIIS scheme. Um, 
particularly in relation to um uh, Irish startups, which which is how I stumbled upon uh, Spark Crowning initially. I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit more about that for people that aren't aware. Yeah, EIS, as I think I said, uh, is is a is a government tax incentive to try and persuade investors to invest in early stage Irish businesses. And uh, simple as that. You, if you have uh, some money to to invest and you want to put it through uh, into these young startup companies, um, many of whom are you know excellent companies uh are and you get a 40 percent discount on your, your investment so so it's a it's done as a tax relief so you you put your money in in 2021 when you pay your when you file your taxes for 2021 sometime after january of next year uh you get a 40 percent yeah you get that 40 percent wiped off your tax which is Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So so why wouldn't you avail of that if you if you have some money to invest? It's a great it's a great incentive. It could be better. Uh, and in many jurisdictions, uh, you know, outside Ireland, it is better, in fact. But nevertheless, we have to you know, play with the cards that we have in front of us. But nevertheless, it's still a very good um, it's still a very good um, you know, uh, incentive for people to invest into early stage businesses. Yeah, I think it's great because, I mean, the biggest struggle when investing, from my perspective, is limiting your downside. I don't really care about the upside, you know, like that takes care of itself. If you buy a good business, it will, it, will, it will take care of itself. So in other words, you know, your capital, essentially what's at risk is 60% of your principal. So with that said, what has been the average return investors have seen with Spark crowdfunding? And, uh, and obviously, what has been the success rate of those businesses going on after they've been funded? Well, as I said, that we haven't actually had a return on investment yet. We have yet to got get a company to actually have an exit. There are some paper raises, absolutely, and and some of those have got a three or four x raise on 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 their investment, which is brilliant. And you know, but it hasn't been solidified and and won't be solidified until there is that is that. Uh, first exit. So, as I say, we're hoping that that's going to be in the next twelve months or so. But until that point, we can't actually, um, you know, point to a, a success and a return. You know, there are there are thoughts and ideas of what that return may be. And as I alluded to earlier on, you know, some of those could be even be ten x, twenty x. Who knows? I mean, it could even be you know higher than that. You know, if you if you back a if you backed a, a Facebook at the stages that we're backing our companies, or you back a Stripe at the stages that we're backing our companies, you'd be a very, very, very rich person uh, now. Um, you know, if if that was if you'd done that with Stripe at, at that early stage, and that's what we're doing. We are we're allowing company. Sorry, we're allowing investors. Investors. Sorry, get my terminology right. We're allowing investors to get in at the very, very early stages of some of these businesses, um, and uh, it, it means that they are uh, you know very uh yeah some of them have great great potential and as i say if you've kind of gone uh, early uh with with stripe as i say you'd be very rich person but at the time at the, at the time you couldn't you had to be a vc or you had to have uh you know massive amounts of en- uh, money uh to invest through a private equity house or something like that so you had to be you know a, a quite a high net worth in in order to invest in in stripe at, at the early stages um whereas now you know with crowdfunding you can be you know, in with a hundred euros. That's all it takes, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's what we do. And we so we've democratized, as we we like to call it. We've democratized the investment down to the people who have got a hundred euros, and and they can do it uh, even with such a, a, a moderate amount of money. 
And just on the discussion of exit multiples, I know there's many analysts that believe that startups can't be valued. Like the biggest challenge being that many of them haven't got well-established operations with predictable cash flow patterns. And um, so I was wondering, what do you believe are the most important factors when you're looking at valuing a startup? And or would you concede with the narrative that it's uh, would you concede with the narrative over numbers? It's difficult. There's no two ways about it. Uh, it, it is uh, tricky. And you can you can uh, uh, probably um, understand that every investee that comes to us has a an overinflated uh, idea of their own valuation. And so so we have to kind of look at everything in the round. And, you know, so we, we take some guidance from uh, some of the other investors that have gone into it as well, of course. Uh, but we also construct our own kind of opinion as to what that might be. So when I say other investors, that could be Enterprise Island, for example. So if they've gone through a uh, competitive start fund, the CSF round with Enterprise Island, that would have gone in uh, for 50,000 for, um, uh, for, for a fight. Sorry. Uh, yeah, 50,000 for a 10% uh, investment. So that is valuing the business at half a million euros. So that, that's a good uh, place to, as any to start. And if, if people have gone on from the CSF and developed and shown that they've grown their business, uh, you know, shown that they've developed their app or whatever it happens to be that they've they've got, then absolutely, we can see, okay, well, there's more, there's more um, uh, value gone into the business since that CSF round. Okay, but is it now worth 750 or a million or 3 million or 7 million? These are the things that we have to, to look at. And, and we, we look at it, as I say, well, would we invest at that level uh, into that business at this stage? And if we wouldn't, then, well, it, yeah, sorry, guys, if you if you won't move from that inflated valuation, then you're not going onto our platform. So, yes, it is difficult. Uh, we do have yeah, many criteria to, to look at to to try and ascertain a, a, a line in the sand. But you know, we it's not us that is is dictating what that is. The, 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 the business actually is the is the way that is, is dictating the the uh, valuation if we think it's ludicrous then they're just not getting onto the site if we think it's you know there or thereabouts yeah okay well we we will put it in front of our investors and it's our investors that decide whether it's a, a good valuation or not they will look at it and go okay yeah no i'm happy to take a punt uh, at that valuation it looks sensible i can see the market size i can see the the, the strong team i can see you know all of these elements that you know, go to make that uh um, you know, valuation, uh, you know, plausible, and uh, investors will invest, or the, or they might not, and in which case, then then the company goes, well, okay, maybe my valuation was too high, and that's why I've got no no investment, and that's uh, that's another strong reason, you know, why you need to be you know conservative in your in your estimation of the of, of the um, uh, of the valuation of the business, particularly at this early stage. I, I think that certainly gives peace of mind to the, the investors looking at the platform as well, knowing that there obviously has been some screening and the valuation of the companies has, has been double checked and triple checked. And like you say, cross referenced with, uh, with other investors in the company. Um, Chris, you've, you've been fantastic. A really interesting chat. Just want to finish up with a couple of different questions. Uh, I kind of, I work in sales. I work in new business development myself and I couldn't help but ask, I know you've got CEO in your title on, on LinkedIn I'm sure you get bombarded with with different sales pitches and the kind of standard robotic messaging on, on LinkedIn. But I was wondering if you've ever come across any particular message or outreach that that caught your attention, that that made you laugh, or that you found interesting, that you actually humoured and, and responded to. Um, I, I do, I do get, uh, yeah, 
I wouldn't say bombarded, but certainly there's a there's a good flow of uh, of people trying to uh, you know sell you uh, stuff over the over the internet, and particularly LinkedIn, of course. I mean, it is a it is a sales channel for for many companies, and I, I include ourselves with that, of course. Yeah, you know, we're 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 very uh, um, uh, prolific on it, and you know, uh, I, maybe a little bit too much as well sometimes. But anyway, that's another that's another story. But. Uh, are there any that really grab my attention? I can't think of any that I that, that, that do, but I, I I I do kind of look at some, and uh, and, and in fact, in fact, one of the uh, one of the things I think that was a approach to me was uh, by a company called IDPAL. IDPAL is a um, is a uh, Irish company, state sponsored, in so much that they've got uh, funding through Enterprise Ireland and and elsewhere as well. But they they supply our KYC. So KYC is a know your client. So it's, a, it's the type, when you're opening a bank account, you will uh, have to show your passport and your proof of address and things like that. And of course, we have to do the same as well. And uh, so we do that with each of our clients. And uh, and IDPAL, I think, approached me uh, over LinkedIn and uh, it kind of piqued my interest because we were doing it manually up to that stage. Uh, and, you know, it was fine. We were doing it manually and it was uh, it, we, we didn't have massive, massive numbers of investors. But as, as the as the platform has grown, obviously, we've needed to automate that a bit. And uh, so we so, yeah, so we use IDPAL now. I, I don't think their advert was particularly quirky, nevertheless, but nevertheless, it caught my eye and and they got a sale out of it as well, which was which is good. And it's a it's a very good business. And uh, and we're very happy to to partner with them. Yeah, and I think that's that's just a matter of fact with sales that sometimes it just comes down to like the right solution coming along at the right time, the person seeing yeah. the value in it. Um, so yeah. Um, last question that I've got for you today, Chris, before we finish up, we've spoken a lot, of course, about business and investing today, and it's been really great. Um, but aside from you know energy, engineering, finance, do you have any other any other hobbies or anything else that that makes you feel alive outside of, of the office? Yeah. I got two teenage daughters which kind of occupy my time significantly or well, but a bit less so now that they are actually getting to a stage where they uh, are, are getting their independence uh, I have a dog as well which I adore uh, yeah, massively and uh, so I walk her kind of very very often uh, but kind of a, a, away from that I, I really enjoy mountain biking I love kind of uh, I love skiing when we can actually go out the country and 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 uh, experience uh, experience that but I'm, I'm a very keen swimmer as well in fact i'm actually going off there in in a few minutes um and i so i swim uh in a master's class um which sounds very grand but it isn't at all it's just kind of some old fogies uh or not old fogies but kind of more mature people anyway uh kind of but uh, and we do uh you know swim two kilometers in an hour and uh i i love that and it's a kind of nice way of uh getting away from the humdrum of uh, of, of daily work so it's a nice uh, it's a nice way of kicking back and relaxing a bit as well so so yeah so there's, there's plenty of things that occupy me but um no i i'd like to keep active and i like to do things outside the house as well and most of those things are uh but uh no i i enjoy keeping uh keeping active which is which is good particularly as i'm now in my you know mid 50s now and i need to keep active you don't look a day over 21 <laughs> <laughs> you said with a completely bald head <laughs> you gotta get a hat <laughs> Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there, there for today, Chris. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, for someone looking to find out more about yourself, Spark Crowdfunding, where should they go? Of course, on, onto our website, www.sparkcrowdfunding.com. And uh, you can get in touch with us there and you can drop us a line and get the, you'll find our, all our contact details there as well. So yes, that'd be great if anybody wants to invest or if, if you are a company seeking investment, we'd be delighted to talk to you. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. And for everyone listening, we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Kickstart Garage. This show is for entertainment purposes only. This show is for entertainment purposes only. No one on the show has provided investment advice. The information provided by the Kickstart Garage podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The opinions and views expressed on the Kickstart Garage podcast or those of the participants do not reflect those of the host or sponsors. The Kickstart Garage, its producers, sponsors, hosts and guests shall not be liable for losses resulting from the investment decisions based upon the opinions or viewpoints presented on the Kickstart Garage.